This national feeling is good, but it won't count for much, and it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge. An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? Those of us who are over 35 or so years of age grew up in a different America. We were taught very directly what it means to be an American. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. You just heard a famous line from President Reagan's farewell speech in 1989. Reagan went on to talk about how we're taught to love our country, that many decades ago it was almost absorbed in the air from our family, neighbors, and schools. Well, today, in the spirit of Halloween, I'm about to tell you a scary story. And it starts with former Attorney General Eric Holder. It's when I hear these things about let's make America great again. And I think to myself, well, exactly when did you think America um, was great? And here's New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Simple point is all this comes down to this. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. Hofstra University students now demanding the removal of a statue of Thomas Jefferson from their campus, accusing our former president of alleged gruesome behavior towards African Americans. I don't care if it's a George Washington statue or a Thomas Jefferson statue or a Robert E. Lee statue, they all need to come down. First of all, Columbus also described the the natives that he uh, ran into when he first discovered uh, this land. If he discovered it, how come they were already there? Uh, Anyway, he said they were, quote, so full of love and without greed. And you would think, like, oh, that's great. That's going to lead to good relations. He's like, no, idiots, he thought. They're so full of love without greed. It makes it super easy to enslave them, beat them, murder them, chop their hands off. Christopher Columbus, the original ISIS. We're going to get to that in a second. Today, the New York Times published the print edition of the 1619 Project. The name marks this month's 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved people brought from Africa to the then Virginia colony. The Times says the project aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 is our true founding, and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Is this the informed patriotism that Reagan felt was so important? Today, we address this point of view on American history. Our guest today, Jarrett Stepman, a contributor at The Daily Signal, says that there is an aggressive movement committed to not only attacking America's history, but obscuring and distorting its foundations and culture. Jarrett, thank you so much for joining us. You just came out with a new book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Let's jump right in here. We just heard some clips about some things that have been happening for quite some time now. Let's start with Jefferson. So it's true that Jefferson owned slaves, as did many of our founders. And this is something that's hard to come to terms with. You know, it's to say that slavery is a dirty and terrible stain on our history barely does it justice. It was a profound moral injustice. Why should we not be removing these statues? What's the counterpoint there? Well, I'd say 
you know, why is it today that we have the idea that slavery is this terrible abomination? It's it's in very much much part of because of Thomas Jefferson, because of the founding generation. This is an institution that at that time was common throughout the world. That the founders t- were, were brave enough, especially Jefferson, to put in our founding document that slavery is a terrible evil. When he sees it around him throughout not just American society but societies throughout the world, I think that's an incredibly brave thing for us to say now in 2019. How dare they? I, I would say, look, where do we even get this concept that slavery is this abomination? Through much of history, it was an accepted practice. Practice, they dared to inject into our founding document the idea that all men are created equal. I mean, that's a, that's a radical thing. And really, fourscore and seven years later, you, of course, had a country that ultimately extinguished that institution with a lot of blood, but because of the words and ideas of that founding generation. And I think it's a, a misnomer to think that because the founders continued to have slavery while saying those words, all men are created equal, that somehow they didn't mean those words. I think they very much meant them. If you read the the documents from Jefferson, you read the notes, you read the opinions of the time, they did believe all men were created equal. They believed that because of positive law, because of tradition, because of the legacy of slavery that existed, that it, it would just exist in reality, but it was something that needed to be extinguished. Yeah, I think common knowledge, Abraham Lincoln's the only one that ever put forward that notion to end slavery. But you're saying that it really goes much farther back than that. And the roots that Thomas Jefferson laid down, you know, paved the way for people like Abraham Lincoln to do what he did. 100%. I mean, Abraham Lincoln even mentioned this. It was a a celebration of Thomas Jefferson's birthday and and Lincoln made some remarks. And he said, you know, all credit to Thomas Jefferson for injecting those words into our founding document. You know, he may have had some issues with the fact that Jefferson continued to own slaves life, but understood that this moment, especially as American society came to fully grip the consequences of slavery, the house divided, uh, Lincoln gave tribute to the founding fathers and said, this, these are the ideas coming from the founding. In many ways, Lincoln was, you, know, you could say, almost a, like a conservative kind of statesman. He said, no, we need to reaffirm the founding of this country, the things that the founders started, we need to finish. And I think that's ultimately what happened. And that's something, that is something we're celebrating. The context, obviously, of terrible things happening in this country that slavery existed through large parts of the country, existed almost over the entire country at the time of the founding, the nation was very much split on that issue. And I think we're very fortunate that many Americans looked back and said, yes, we want to uphold the vision of the founders and finally extinguish this great evil, which of course ultimately happened with with a whole lot of suffering in between. Would you say that that same argument stands true for someone like Robert E. Lee? It does. And and Lee, of course, is a a complicated figure in our history. He was not a a radical supporter of slavery. Uh, He was not a person who wanted to embrace the idea of secession. He was very much against it. Uh, he ultimately was faced with a terrible choice. Do you, do you go with your state uh, or do you go with your country? And it, it was a terrible choice for him. He was actually at one point almost called upon to become uh, the general of all the armies of the Union, the, uh, the Army of the Potomac. And he did ultimately make that decision to stay with Virginia. He thought the Union was shattered. It was never coming back. Uh, this was never a man who was ultimately committed to the institution of slavery. Ultimately, I mean, at the end of the war, he actually, uh, he actually suggested that they employ uh, former slaves, give them their freedom and fight for the Confederate army during the war, which is kind of mind-boggling. Of course, the political authorities in the Confederacy shot that down. 
Uh, but but Robert E. Lee is a complicated figure, and I think to a large extent his legacy after the war is a big part of who he is. You know, telling uh, Southerners to raise your children to be Americans, to bring the country back together after I think the worst uh, tragedy in our country's history. And I think that's a part of his legacy too. Even if he made the wrong decision ultimately uh, to fight for the South, the Confederacy. If you're enjoying today's podcast, I want to encourage you to check out a podcast I'm really enjoying, and that's the Acton Line podcast. That's Acton, A-C-T-O-N, Line, L-I-N-E. Producer and host Caroline Roberts is so easy to listen to, and she dives into some really interesting topics. For example, last week she talked about the morality of the new blockbuster hit Joker. She talks with an award-winning movie critic who helps explain how the film touches on themes like mental illness, morality, and even empathy. I highly recommend her podcast. Her ability to have deep and insightful conversations about pop culture issues is awesome. Okay, now back to my conversation with Jared. Okay, let's move on to Christopher Columbus. On the second Monday of every October, we celebrate Columbus Day. Columbus, of course, discovered America in 1492. We all know the poem. I'm going to go ahead and let you tell both sides of the story here. Why do some Americans have such a problem with celebrating Columbus Day? Well, I think obviously there's this big push to replace Columbus Day with, you know, people call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, a lot of them say that Columbus was genocidal, that he abused natives, that he was just this this awful person. A lot of this comes, uh, some of it comes from accounts from his own day. He had some detractors uh, all the way back then, but a lot of it also comes from uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, where Zinn tried to create this picture of Columbus as this, this awful man. He had a very good reason, borrowing from Karl Marx and Engels, thinking that Columbus actually ushered in the world of capitalism and, and the global capitalist system that we have. So that was where his perspective was from. And these stories about abuses that happened in the New World, some of them true, a lot of them not a lot of them not attributable to Christopher Columbus, and I think that's something that that really bothers me with the attacks on Columbus. A lot of the criticisms of him are just the opposite. I mean, Columbus in his own journey, and I I do think that Columbus is. We need to recognize the bravery and the the accomplishment of Christopher Columbus. Uh, but some of the, the the recorded abuses that took place in the New World, some of them happened under his crews. Columbus actually tried to stop them and punish those, the Spaniards who were under him. He got criticized in his own day for being too soft and being too hard on the Spanish. And the idea that he was actually the monster perpetrating all these terrible things in the New World, including things like disease, which – I mean, he had no concept of disease whatsoever. I think it's very unfair to, to the man himself, who I think should be recognized for the accomplishment that he did and, and the many, many good and bad things that came from that connection between the old world and the new. Okay. Lastly, I want to hit on something recent that I think many of our listeners have heard about. The New York Times, uh, while the left has long claimed that our founders were hypocrites, the New York Times has gone a step farther and they're attempting to reframe American history by imagining 1619, not 1776, as our nation's birth year. 1619, because that's the year that the first African slaves landed in the British colonies in America. Is there any truth to this at all? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think if the project was simply dedicated to perspectives on slavery, on the institution, I think it would have been a worthwhile historical endeavor. But I think 
the problem with it is it really was it was activism. I mean, that's I mean, even in the, the beginning statements of this project, they say they wish to reframe American history based on the idea that yeah. 1619 is really our founding. I, I think that that's that's an absurd notion. What they're trying to say essentially is everything America was built on was slavery, and in some ways they actually take up the argument of the kind of pro-slavery side of the Civil War, kind of strangely enough, that, oh, all these good things, they're happening because of slavery. On one side, they say it's good. On the other side, they would say it's bad. But how different that is uh, from the philosophy of Lincoln or the founders. They even went as far as to say the Revolutionary War was fought. For slavery. Yes. (laughs) It's incredible. That's completely false. It's completely false. It's an absurdity. And and you know what? I think that especially because they pivoted so quickly to trying to lump in slavery and capitalism, which I, I mean, I think shows how ideological this project was. Like the first essay they do is like the, the brutal realities of capitalism derived from slavery. And it, it, it's very obvious what they're trying to do is say that, oh, all these good things you think about America, well, they're really all bad because slavery. And, and to me, that kind of exposes what the project is about and shows, okay, this is not just history. This is a way to attack what America is and was. And yes, we can have, I think, very good conversations about slavery and its legacy. But to say that that is the critical essence of what America is, I think it's actually an absurdity. And I think it's very much undercuts what happened in 1776, the American Revolution, or long history. And so, yeah, I think, unfortunately, this project, it is a bad one. And ultimately, I think it's going to lead a lot of people astray. And it's going to be, unfortunately, in curriculum across the country as the New York Times and the Polar Surprise Committee is now going to be pushing this at the K-12 level for for students going to our schools. Jerry, I... I should admit that I know you. We're office neighbors here at the Heritage Foundation, and you're also the host of the Right Side of History podcast. I want to give you a little plug there (laughs) on top of your book, of course. Um, But I'm curious, have you always felt this like passion in your soul for history? When did you become such a history buff? You know, I, I kind of always did. I think it was large part because of how I was raised. My my parents and my grandparents always reinforced this. I've definitely been inspired inspired by them my whole life to really, you know, embrace, you know, being an American. What does that mean? What does our history mean? I've always done a lot of reading since I was young. Actually, something that really, I think, inspired me, especially on this project, uh, especially because I think a lot of our schools have failed to teach American history, is actually my father. Uh, when I was in the second grade, I, I know the day. It was it was June 6, 1994. It's my I, son's birthday. Is it? Well, that's 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 a great birthday. My, my dad asked me, what did you learn in school today? And it was very important to him because this was the 50th anniversary of D-Day, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the retaking of Normandy. Yeah. He said, you? I said, oh, no, we, mm-hmm. not, not, we learned to write these letters. He said, well, you didn't learn anything about, about D-Day? And so my, my father actually confronted my, my teacher at the time and said, you know, why these students, they don't learn anything about American history. Why don't you teach them something about that? I and mean, this, this is a world-changing event. This is a lot of their grandparents fought in this war. And the teacher said, oh, you know, we had to write these letters and we were very busy. He says, well, you know, why don't you have them write a letter to one of the soldiers who was there on that day? Why don't you combine that with a lesson about, you know, what, what their country is all about? And so my parents ultimately did take me out of that school. They put me in a school that I think reinforced more civic values and and virtue and things like this. And I think that really stuck out to me. I think I was very fortunate. I ultimately got sent to a private school. My parents reinforced history lessons through my life. And, And I do hope that 
you know, other parents out there, I think that's a point I try to make in, in my book, too. I mean, our history is fading very quickly. You look at polls about historical – it's very bad in civics. And at the same time, you see a rise in people embracing things like socialism, things like this. And I can see the two things being connected. And I think it's very important for Americans, parents especially, to – you know, inform themselves and try to inform their children because they're going to get, you know, they're going to get a lot of pushback. They're going to get a lot of it in school, whether it's at K to 12 level or in college. And, and you need to be prepared for that. Now, I think our history is absolutely worth defending. I think we have a lot to be proud of in this country. I totally agree. And, and normally when I interview historians, I ask them, you know, if there's one book you could recommend, what would it be? But I'm not going to ask that because I'm going to actually say that everyone should go out and get Jarrett's book, The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past. Um, I have my own copy, which I'm going to hold on to for when I need it for my kids, because I have a feeling that time will come up and I'll need to counter some of those points. Great Christmas gift, of course, for anyone looking for people who like that type of stuff. Jarrett, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. That wraps up this week's episode. I'm going to post an Amazon link to Jarrett's book in my show notes. I also want to link to a few of Jarrett's op-eds and heritage expert op-eds on this topic. Thank you for listening. Last week's episode became our most listened to episode ever, and we're so grateful for our listeners and for our heritage donors who make it possible for us to do this. We love it so much. Thank you again. Feel free to email me, Michelle, or Tim, or Thalia at managingeditor at heritage.org, and we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.